Welcome everybody, everybody in the lobby, welcome to you too. They're out there, you can barely hear them. Hey, uh, pray with me and let's, uh, let's get started. Father, we come before you and that is why we're here. Uh, we're here to express how grateful we are for who you are and what you've done. Uh, in the midst of the chaos uh, that these holidays can bring, uh, as we're amidst family and friends, help us just to take some time today so that we can center our thoughts and center our minds on who you are and what Christmas is all about and what you've done. It's in Jesus' beautiful name we pray. Amen. Hey, so you got to admit, of all the holidays, like Christmas has a lot of style, doesn't it? Like, I mean, we attach ourselves to so many things that we perceive to be significant around Christmas. Like, like my kids make me put lights on the tree. I have a 10-foot Frosty in my front yard right now that the winds keep blowing over. Every day I have to come home, pick Frosty up, pick him back, you know, put him back in place. Uh, we have all these different things. We have, we have Christmas songs. We have Christmas snacks and treats and candy, all the stuff that we so enjoy around this time, right? And then there's Christmas movies that are vital to the Christmas season, right? Christmas story, you'll shoot your eye out. Very, very important to make sure you watch that one. A big one in my house is Home Alone, all right? Because my kids like to remind me that I once left one of my sons at the park for a period of time. And so I always remind them, at least I didn't fly to France, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, the mainstay has to be Christmas Vacation. Me and the band, we were just back here quoting Christmas Vacation. I can't really quote any of that right here, right now. It's being recorded. But, but there's some really, really important movies that we like to center our attention on during this time, right? So, so Christmas does have a lot of style. It has a lot of things that kind of surround the season that we really, really like. And they become just kind of a part of our life, right? But Christmas also has substance, a lot of substance. And that substance has a name. And his name is Jesus. And I don't know if you've ever like sat back and wondered, but like how is it that all of human history got divided by the time before this moment and after this moment? How is it that a baby that was laid in a manger 2,000 years ago in the Middle East has so affected our world? Like, how has that happened? So as we've been going through this family tree series, we've looked at different people. We've looked at Abraham and David and Mary and Joseph. We've looked at a lot of different people in the family tree of Jesus. But now we arrive at the central figure of the Christmas, Christmas story. And, and a nativity set is probably the most important thing to like help set, set, center our focus on Jesus, right? Because baby Jesus is always like at the center of the nativity set. Now, in, in my house, uh, we, we have a, a three-year-old. And the three-year-old's name is Bo. And, and the problem with him this year is somebody let him watch uh, The Grinch a few weeks ago. And since then, he's decided that on certain days, he's going to wake up and fully embrace being The Grinch, and so he's actually been stealing Christmas presents from under the tree and hiding them around the house. Uh, he'll walk around and he'll say this. He'll say, I hate Christmas. We had carolers come to the house the other day. They sang Frosty the Snowman and he stood there with his hands on his hips and went, I hate this song. He, <laughs> it gets worse. Bo, somebody took baby Jesus out of the nativity set in our house. Guess who it was? Bo, the three-year-old. Guess where we found baby Jesus? on the Thomas the Train Engine's train tracks, okay? So, so hashtag pray for Bo this Christmas season because Bo is a pagan, okay? But, but a nativity set reminds us, it's like this visual reminder to keep Jesus at the center of everything amidst the Christmas season, right? You know who actually knew how to keep Jesus at the center of everything really, really well? St. Nicholas, 
Uh, St. Nicholas, in the year 325 AD, was a part of this group that got together known as the Council of Nicaea. It was a bunch of church leaders that got together, and they were going to decide on some very important issues that they were going to take back to their churches and make sure that they emphasized these things in their churches. And there was this guy who came to the council, this dude. His name was Arius. And Arius had, had this perception of Jesus that was much different than everybody else at the council. His perception of Jesus was that Jesus was not God's son. He was not equal with God, and he was not eternal. So, so they let Arius get up in front of the council and talk for a little while and present his case about how Jesus really wasn't as significant as they all believed that he was. And St. Nicholas, now some people say this happened, some people say it didn't. I say it happened because I like it. St. Nicholas marches across the room and drops Arius with a left hook in front of everybody. Santa had a mean left hook. I can get behind that. I can get behind that. He knew how to keep Jesus at the center of everything. So we have St. Nicholas and those other men at that council to thank for what came out of that council, which was known as the Nicene Creed. The Nicene Creed emphasized Jesus. This is what it had to say. We believe in one God, the Father, almighty maker of heaven and earth, all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all the ages, God from God, light from light, that's going to be a theme in our service, true God from true God, begotten not made, of the same essence of the Father through whom all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. This is Christmas. He became incarnate. That means he put on flesh became like one of us by the Holy Spirit and by the Virgin Mary was made human. So St. Nicholas and those men knew how to keep Jesus at the center of everything. And so that's what we have to really kind of reckon with on this Christmas Eve, right? Is who is this Jesus, this baby that was laid in a manger? Because let's be honest, like baby Jesus lying in a manger looks really nice on a Hallmark card. It's really sentimental, gives us warm, nice feelings and things like that. But Jesus is more than that. He is that, but he's much more. So again, we've been exploring this family tree of Jesus. It's found in the opening words of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1. And all I want to look at today is really just the very first verse in Matthew chapter 1, which says this, the genealogy, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, some of you have done this before where if you can't sleep at night, you pull out some genealogy from the Bible and read it, and that does the trick, right? So it's very, very easy for us to just kind of look at genealogies and go, yeah, 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 what's the big deal? But every one of those words that's used to describe Jesus is powerful. It makes a very controversial statement, to be really honest with you. So let's just begin. Like, even the name Jesus... It's kind of controversial because the name Jesus in the Old Testament was Yeshua, which is translated Joshua, but it means he saves. It means God saves. So something seeps into our subconscious around this season, which is that what really matters is whether you're naughty or nice. Whether you do more good things than you do bad things, and if so, you get rewarded for the good things, and you, if not, you get punished for the bad things. But the message of Christmas is that Jesus the Savior recognized that there's only one list, and it's called the naughty list, and we're all on it. Because the Bible teaches this, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So look around you, we've all fallen short of not just God's standards, we've all fallen short of our own standards, right? None of us has ever lived up perfectly to what we set out to do. None of us has ever perfectly achieved what we think is right and good and beautiful and good and true and all that kind of stuff. No, we can't even live up to our own standards, much less God. So, So Jesus 
came to save us precisely because we can't save ourselves. That's a very different message than the one that's kind of seeped into our subconscious that often we're reminded of in songs and things like that around Christmas time. So Jesus Christ is the next word there. And Christ is not Jesus' last name, just so you know, okay? Christ actually, actually means something, and it means anointed. It means anointed one. So, so in our frame of reference, when we think anointed one, we think of like the next quarterback in line or the next coach or something. He's the newly anointed head coach, whatever that is. But in, especially in biblical terms, the only people who were anointed were kings and priests. So when we say Jesus Christ, we're saying he's a priest who was set apart for a task. That's what being anointed means. You're being set apart to accomplish something and to do something. And what Jesus was set apart to do and accomplish was to build a bridge back to God that we couldn't build for ourselves. A priest, by definition, is a mediator between God and people. So Jesus' task was to bring people like you and me, broken, messed up people who fall short of the glory of God, back into a right relationship with God. John 3.16 is probably the most famous passage in the Bible. Right after that is an equally powerful verse, which says this, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, that wasn't his mission, but in order that the world might be saved through him. In other words, if God wanted to condemn us, he would have never sent Jesus. If that was his objective, he would have just left us alone. I mean, the, the famous Christmas song, Oh Holy Night, says it this way, Apart from Jesus, long lay the world in sin and error pining. That's us apart from Jesus. We're in sin, we're in error, and there's nothing we can do about it. We can't get out of it. So if God wanted to leave us in the midst of our condemnation, he certainly would have never sent his son Jesus. But he was aware of our brokenness. That's why he came. And if we're paying attention, there are reminders of brokenness everywhere we go. If we can raise our chins above the level of our smartphones every now and then, we'll see it. My wife and I, we were... We were on a plane uh, flying, flying to Vegas a, a, about a week and a half ago, and um, pastors go to Vegas too, it's okay. And, <clears throat> and we were flying southwest where they do the, the open seating thing, you know, and usually that, that gets expedited pretty quickly, but for some reason there was kind of a delay getting the plane boarded, and then when we got on the plane, we, we found out why. There, there was a man they needed to load on the plane first, and, and he was on like a ventilator. He had all these tubes coming out of him. He wasn't conscious. He had two nurses traveling with him, his mother and his sister traveling with him, and they took up a couple rows, and these nurses took turns basically holding this man, holding his head up and taking care of him the entire plane flight, and I just, I sat right across from him and thought, man, this is this is a broken season for this family. They're in the midst of brokenness right now. When we got on the plane, we, we passed by them. And then I noticed uh, to my right, uh, everybody had loaded the, the plane, but there were these two seats in the second row. And usually people want those seats. And there was a little boy on the window seat right there. And so I, I said, hey, hey buddy, are, are, are these two seats open? He said, yeah, they're, they're open. I'm traveling by myself. He looked like he was about seven or eight years old. Turns out his name is, it was Levi. And Levi was, was traveling to, to spend Christmas with his father because his parents were divorced. And immediately my, my heart kind of went out to him because that's me. That's how I was when I was his age. I, I remember vividly like hopping on planes and flying by myself so I could go spend Christmas with, with my dad. And we sat there with Levi and Levi immediately like told us his whole life story and everything like that and, and played games with us. And then he quizzed us to see which of us, my wife or I, was a better friend of his. And that was, deter that, that, that was determined by which of us had paid 
the most attention to his life story. So he quizzed us about his life story and awarded points based on our good answers. And I, I lost. I was like, bro, we just met. Slow your roll, you know? But it was in the, mi- in the middle of that plane flight to Las Vegas Christmas season, just being aware of the brokenness that was all around us. Jesus came to save as Christ, the bridge builder, out of our brokenness back into right relationship with our Heavenly Father. Jesus Christ, the Son of David. Now again, everybody reading the words of Matthew primarily were Jewish, and so when they heard Son of David, they knew exactly who we're talking about. We're talking about King David, the most famous king in the nation of Israel's history. So this statement being made about this baby in a manger is that he is king. Again, we were flying back from Vegas, and the plane flight from Vegas is drastically different than the one to Vegas, if you've ever noticed. And we're coming back, and we're in the airport in Las Vegas, and there's all the slot machines and all the noise and and everybody, you know, just (laughs) wishing they'd won more money or whatever it was. But over over the, the, the speakers, I hear Christmas songs playing in the Las Vegas airport. And I'm sure they called them holiday songs, but the problem with holiday songs is nobody can sing about some sort of strange holiday that nobody's allowed to define. So they're all Christmas songs that are playing over the radio, and we just sang the one that came playing. Oh, come all ye faithful. Oh, come let us adore him. Born the king of angels. Now, in the Bible, angels are, are most often described as these like really terrifying warriors. So what kind of a king does it take to lead an army of warrior angels? Maybe a different picture than the one we have in mind with just baby Jesus lying in a manger. See, that picture of that kind of king that can oversee angel armies doesn't go so well on a Hallmark card. But make no mistake, good kings are always a threat to bad kings. And that's a part of the Christmas story that often gets kind of overlooked or we don't talk about that much. Uh, But when, when those wise men came right from the east, they stopped off first in a king's palace. And the king's name was Herod, and he was in Jerusalem. They said, hey, we're here because we heard that that the king of the Jews was born. And Herod's going, time out, that's me. I'm king of the Jews. Really what he was was a puppet king in the hand of the Roman Empire, and he abused his people. He was a bad king. So it picked his interest going, well, king of the Jews, I need to know where this happens. And so he said, well, when you find him, make sure you come back, let me know where he is so that I can go worship him too. Well, the wise men, they were wise, and so they didn't do that. And so they went back a different way, never told King Herod where he was, So what did King Herod do? He inquired, said, hey, where's the Messiah supposed to be born? Bethlehem. All right, well, just grab some soldiers, head to Bethlehem and the whole area surrounding, and just kill every baby boy that looks like he might be two years old or younger. King Jesus is always a threat to bad kings. And all of us have a king. For good or for bad, we have someone or something that we're devoting our life to. And King Jesus may be a threat to who's on the throne in your life right now. Jesus Christ came to save us, build a bridge back, and he's king. He's king of everything. He's also called the son of Abraham. Again, every Jewish person reading that would have gone, okay, that's father Abraham. That's like as big as, as big gets. Like he, he's the one that God made the first promise to, making this promise saying, listen, so I will certainly bless you, and I will make I will make the children born into your family as many as the stars in the sky. I'll make them as many as the grains of sand on the seashore. They will take over the cities of their enemies. And here it is. 
all nations, all nations, not some nations, all nations on earth will be blessed because of your children. All these things will happen because you have obeyed me. So God's intentions, here's what we have to know, have always been that he would include all nations. He's king of everything. His territory is everywhere. He wants to include everyone. The family tree of Jesus is full of outsiders. If you've been tracking with us in this series, you recognize, man, these are some people that you and I would never want to include in our family tree. These are some historic screw-ups, some people that you would want to keep on the margins of your life, and yet God says, no, you can be a part of my family. So he seeks to be a blessing to all nations. His intentions are good. His territory includes everything, which means his kingdom is going to keep growing and growing and growing. And we see it. We see it happening right now. Do you know where Christianity is growing the most right now? In the global south? It's exploding in China. China is on pace to be the most Christian nation in the world. Russia approaching 100 million Christians. How's that possible? Well, because King Jesus said, listen, my kingdom's like this. My kingdom is like when you get a little bit of yeast into some dough and then you press on that, you persecute that, you try to stamp that out, all you do is make it spread. He said, my, my kingdom's kind of like this little seed, like, like a mustard seed, which is one of the smallest seeds you can find. You can barely even see it. But man, if that thing gets into your garden, boom, it's going to take over. Which means this, King Jesus' kingdom is never going to end. Which takes us back to that promise that was tucked away in that Old Testament prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9 that we look at so often around Christmas, which says this, For to us a child is born, and a son is given, and the government shall be upon his, his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of who? On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth forevermore. Which means this, King Jesus makes a claim and his claim is total and he claims, get this, everything. He says, I am king of everything. Which means this, we talked about this last week, this, this leads us to a, a choice. That puts us at a crossroads. Do we, do we honor him? Do we like bow down and worship him like those shepherds and those wise men? Do we do, we do that or do we, are we threatened by that? Because we're going, no, there, there's a king in town and it's me. There's a king in, in town and it's my status. It's, there's a king in town and it's money. Whatever that may be in our life. King Jesus is always, threatened, is always threatening to a bad king. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He's good, but make no mistake, he's not safe. In other words, you don't toy with King Jesus. So we have to allow the style of Christmas to do what it does best, which is to point to the substance of Christmas, which means that we have to respond somehow in some way. We, we, we really, you, maybe you were hoping for this, we don't get to remain neutral on King Jesus. He forces our hand. Do we worship him as king that he claims to be? Or do we cast him aside and say, no, I got this on my own? Because Christmas says emphatically that Jesus is a savior 
the Son of God. He came to save us from the mess that we make of our lives. Christmas says that Jesus Christ is a priest who was set apart for a task, and that was to bring us back into a right relationship with our Creator. Christmas says that Jesus Christ, the Son of David, is King, and He's a good King with good intentions, and He wants to bless us. That Jesus Christ, the Son of David, the Son of Abraham, wants to give us something. And include us in something. And what he wants to include us in is his kingdom by his grace. See, grace is a great word. It's an amazing word. It means a gift that brings inexpressible joy. Which is why Christmas, historically, is not just any old holiday. It's a feast. And a feast is a great metaphor for what Christmas really is. Because a feast, by definition, means that, man, there's more than enough. Eat all you want. There's more than enough for you. So welcome to the feast. And do you want to sit at the table? That's the question. Because this baby lying in a manger didn't stay there. He grew to be a man who would be laid on a cross. You know, all through history, uh, whenever God decided to step into our reality and say, I'm going to do something new, I'm going to do something big, significant, I'm going to do something different, Whenever he would do that, he would give us a physical sign so you don't forget, so you, so, you, so you don't remember, right? Like maybe they'd cross a river somewhere in the Bible and he'd say, pile up stones here. And remember, I opened that up so you could get in, into there. And we, we do that up in the mountains and things like that, right? It's like you'll see these piles of stones around like somebody got married here or somebody proposed here or if you hiked with me, somebody died here or something like that, you know? It's like we want to remember that so we can find the body, right? So we, we try to mark things in significant ways. And, and Christians, we, you know, we, all through history, we've, we've done that. We've, we've taken symbols uh, and, and we don't worship the symbol. We try not to anyway, but sometimes a reminder like, oh yeah, that stands for not just some day that happened in history, but a person, Right? And so this whole series, we've been looking at these, at these symbols, these metaphors. God was really big on saying it's kind of like that, right? So we started with the family tree, this Christmas tree. Started all the way back with a promise to Abraham. And, and then the family tree, David was in there, and all these, Jacob, all these other famous people. But eventually that family tree brought us Jesus. And, and what Scott was just talking about is there were people in that family that if, if they were in my family, I'd want to prune that branch off and pretend like, you know, cousin Steve never existed. We all have that person in our life. And, and the takeaway from that, though, is if God can use people like that to accomplish something really, really, really significant, in spite of what they've done, in spite of where they come from, maybe God could use me. Because I've done some stuff. I've got some stuff in my past. I, I wish I had a different family tree. But, if, but is it possible that through Jesus I could be grafted into the family tree of God. He could use someone like me. That's what we've been kicking around the last month in here. And then a couple weeks ago, we looked at this, this stump, right? And there were times when God's plan looked like, you know, it had been cut down and it was just dead as a stump. And, and we looked at that, but then, then God says, oh, I'm not done. Out of that stump, I'm gonna bring life. And the takeaway for, for some of us was this. Is it possible I have dead parts of my life Things I've, I've given up on, buried, it'll never come back to life. That part of my life will never, ever happen. It's dead, we're dead, whatever that is. But is it possible that if, that if I were to really put my faith and trust in Jesus, he could bring the dead part of my life back to life? Maybe. And then, then last week, we, we looked at this, this signpost, and, and, and the truth is, is that just like you know, Joseph and Mary, they had their life planned out, and it wasn't, it wasn't, what happened? 
Right? I have my life planned out. Joseph, I got my life planned out. I'm going to marry her. We're going to have kids. I'm going to do that. Mary's like, I'm, you know, I'm a virgin. Eventually, I'm going to marry this man. And this is probably what my life is going to be. And then God stepped into their life and changed it. And he, and he does the same for all of us, right? We're living our life. We've got our plan. This is what I'm going to do. Get out of college. Get this job. Marry him or her. Whatever that is. I have my plan. And then God messes with it. Right, he steps in and goes, I want, I want you to do something different. I'm not even saying what you're doing is bad. I just want to do something different with your life. And then we come to a crossroads. What am I going to do? Am I going to keep on doing what I was doing or am I going to turn my life this new way? Not because it makes sense. Not because I understand fully, you know. Not because everybody in my life is going to agree. Well, you know, I've been trying to listen to God and I'm going to follow God. That, that probably won't go over well at lunch tomorrow, it just, right? I'm going, to, I'm going to turn my life towards God because I believe he loves me. And I believe that even though I don't see how following him even makes sense, I believe that with God all things are possible. So here we go. And we all have that choice. And then that brings us to, to, to today, this manger, right? Baby Jesus. And, and it, here's the significance. This is such a, I don't know, sweet story, uh, sentimental. Uh, but to, to quote Scott, this baby grew up to be a man who hung on a cross, right? You can't just stop here. It goes there every time. And, and, and this, you know, we take symbols, right? In Jesus' day, this was a symbol of you're weak, you're powerless, you're condemned. They lined the roads with crosses. So Rome would say you're nothing, we're gods, you're nothing. It was a symbol of torture and execution. And, and, and what other part of our life do we, do we hang symbols of torture and execution on our mantle? Anybody? You know, I have a guillotine on my fireplace. No, no, we don't. <laughs> but we've, we've, we've taken this symbol and went, this actually is the most hopeful thing in my life now. Because what this means is that on a day in history, an event took place. And it changed everything. And so what, what once was a symbol of death and persecution and condemnation now is the greatest symbol of hope and forgiveness and grace and joy that you and I will ever experience in our life. It's, it's possible to take symbols that point to a truth, uh, something that really happened, and give them meaning. And all through your life, the meaning might actually change. I, I'll give an example of this, all right? This is how it all comes together. On the night before Jesus was crucified, he gathered his, his, his followers in a room and he set a table, right? He set a table and, you know, I, I, the guys just thought, oh yeah, Jewish Passover. We've done this since we were kids and so, so Jesus set a table, right? And he says, hey, I, I want you to pay attention. I'm gonna do something different. Somebody had a lighter, probably Judas, Right? Maybe. I'll use my own. Uh, it's Colorado, don't judge me. All right, so. I probably need to edit that out, okay? So all these guys around the table, and they're expecting, we've been doing this for hundreds and hundreds of years. And Jesus says, we're going to do it different today. And he took bread, 
And the bread in, in the Jewish Passover meant that manna that fell out of heaven that we couldn't provide for ourselves, God would provide for us. He said, we're going to give it a new meaning tonight. Um, I want everybody to take a bite of this bread. And then he says this, this is my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And you got to think that the room went silent. Like, what? What is he talking about? The next day when they saw Jesus nailed to a cross, maybe it was an aha moment. Oh. Then he took a cup of, of wine and he said, everybody take a drink of this. This is my blood, which that'll make you pause, right? What? what? Pour it out for you. Drink this and, and, and don't forget, remember what's about to happen. And again, I, I just think that they're thinking, what is he talking about? But the next day when they see Jesus hanging on a cross, oh, he took an old symbol, a symbol that God, when he first gave the Jewish people that symbol, he knew where this was going. Just like the blood that was painted all over your door and death will pass over you, eventually blood will be shed and death will pass over you, condemnation will pass over you, and instead you'll get grace. So here's what we're going to do on Christmas. You say, well, you do that on Easter. We do it on Christmas. We're going to do this. And again, I don't know what tradition you come from, uh, but we're going to take some bread and we're going to pass it out. All right? And uh, again, some, some of you are going, well, am I allowed? Because I'm going to church later at my real church. Here, all right? So <laughs> I get it. All right? Um, here, here's where we land on that. If you believe, and the only way you can believe is if God tells you in your heart this is true. If you believe that Jesus isn't just some baby on a Christmas story, but he actually is the son of God. He grew up. They nailed him to a cross as a payment for your and my mistakes. And you believe that. But he didn't stay dead. He actually rose from the dead. If you believe that and you call him, I, he, he's my Lord and he's my Savior and I need him to take away my sin. If you believe that, and only you know if you believe that or not, some bread's going to come by in a minute, take it and eat it. We don't worship the symbol, we worship the person. And, and some grape juice is going to come by, and you're going to peel the little lid off, and, and this is my cup poured out for you. If you believe that that blood is the only thing that can take away whatever separates you from God, then drink. And remember... I'm loved. I'm forgiven. Because of Jesus. So, Father, in this moment right now, we're going to eat some bread. It represents your body. We're going to drink some, some juice. It represents your blood. And you know, in the craziness of this world, and all of us even right now are thinking, as soon as I get out of this room, I have to get in the car and drive through traffic and get to here and get to here and get to here. And then tomorrow we have to do all these things. We just want to take a time out. Take a breath and go, wait, in the hustle and bustle of everything, it's all about Jesus. And so we thank you, God, for sending us Jesus in a manger who grew up to be a man who hung on a cross, who took away our sins and then rose from the dead three days later. And because of that, we actually have peace on earth. In his name we pray, amen. So uh, we're, we're almost done. Let me... This has been a weird Christmas for me this year. 
I don't know about you, um, like, so yesterday we canceled Christmas at my house. Uh, we postponed it because everybody at my house keeps giving the gift that keeps on giving. It's called norovirus. We're just keeping it, giving it back and forth. And so Christmas is all about snot, poop, and puke at my house. Jingle bells. There you go. And, uh, and it's just, and it's just, I don't know. It's like, so you drive through my neighborhood and everybody, and you're some of those people because I know where you live. And uh, you're, you're like, it's like, Someone's vomited Christmas on your house. You put up every light, every... See, Scott, Scott has a 10-foot you know, snowman. And I, we have nothing. We have no lights. People drive by our house and think, they're Amish. There's no electricity. Or what is that, you know? And, or, you know and, and you go in, our tree is the worst tree ever. We bought one of those pre-lit Christmas trees. Don't do that, all right? Because I don't know who, who makes these things. They, someone in hell now, all right? But hey... Uh, because there's a, I have a conspiracy theory is that they put a fuse in there that's good for about 18 months. And sometime in June, it blows up. And then you put your lights up and it, they don't work. They work when you put them away. And now they don't work. We were sitting on the couch uh, earlier this week. And I'm watching a movie with my wife. And I can see lights going out on my tree. <laughs> Shaking the tree doesn't help. All right. <laughs> hey, this is church confession. Has anybody lost their temper and used words that Jesus wouldn't approve of having to do with lights this year? Right. Yeah, me too, right? Finally, the other day, Rob and I looked at each other and, and said, you know what? Who cares? All right, so we have a, one-third of the lights on our tree are out. Um, our whole decorations are two reindeer on, on the mantle and, and some stockings. We're missing some. We don't even know where they are. And, uh, but we looked at each other and we went, you know, who cares? We got us. We got Jesus on my tree as a little piece of yarn that we... A lot of us took home and went, I'm part of the family of God, and I got that, and I've got my kids, and I've got my grandkids. They, they really stink right now, but uh, my wife's at home vomiting right now. It's just like, but you know what? We're going to be okay. We're gonna be, you're going to be okay. This is my favorite part of Christmas, what we're about to do right, right now, right? So when all the fuses blow, Right When the electricity fails, when everything goes back in the box, when it all goes out, Jesus keeps shining. And sometimes it's, it's not until our darkest moment that we actually notice him again. And maybe for you, that's, that's right now. You know, my life is kind of jumbled up and messy and I got to put my kid on a plane to go spend it with his dad. I got to do this. It's going to be a fight tomorrow. I don't know. But in the darkness, there's Jesus. So we're going to light candles. We're going to light candles as long as I'm the pastor here. We're going to sing Silent Night. I promise. All right. If you don't like that, go to another church Um, (laughs) because we're going to do it. All right. It's, It's not in the Bible, but it should be. All right. And here's the thing. We're going to light a candle. And here's what I want you to notice as we do this. All right. If Jesus is the light of the world and we keep our eyes on Jesus, everything else fades away. You know, Scott just said that of his kingdom there shall be no end. And the kingdom is spreading. And so some of you, you're not going to listen because this is true in a lot of parts of your life. You're going you're gonna, to, you know, not listen. <laughs> um, here's what I'm going to do. I, I'm going to light a candle that's going to light a candle that's going to light a candle. And this is how the message of Jesus spread across the world. And it took a long time for it to get to some of us, didn't it? Some of us, we're here today because finally, I think I understand. It's not about religion. It's not about what they believe and they believe and they fight with these people. And it's just about Jesus. And do I believe that 
God loves me and sent Jesus to me, the light of the world, and was he willing to shine light in my life? I've been waiting for the light to get here for a long, long time. And so wait for the light. See, these people over here, they're jumping the gun. And uh, <laughs> the balcony, you're, you're not going to heaven. I'm just telling you. And <laughs> yeah, blow it out. Blow them out. God's watching. All right? So, and all of us are too, so. We're going to light a candle. Let's stand up. We're going to light a candle. We're going to sing Silent Night. And that light is going to shine into our lives. And we're going to look at light of the world and let everything else fade away.